12 to 16 is in the flow of everything from verse 1. Uh, so this is all flowing together. This is almost all one larger passage. Um, and so uh, keep that in mind as we read. Paul's writing here, and he just said, you know, he wanted to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible he might attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he continues, Not that I've already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the years, I've encountered uh, quite a number of people, and I I remember... uh, uh, for example, one woman that I encountered many, many years ago, uh, I won't say her name, I often try to make up names, but I have to be careful with that because sometimes when I make up names, I actually end up using the name of somebody that's present and then people start getting a little worried. Uh, and so, so this is nobody that anybody here, I think, think would know. But I, I, I remember just talking to her and encouraging her. She was somebody that kind of hung around a lot of times at the edge of the church, and she wanted to come in, and she wanted to get closer, uh, and she wanted to do more things. But she felt, you know, she was just struggling, because you know, she had a, a tough childhood, a tough upbringing. There were a lot of uh, problems that she was encountering in her life. Uh, she struggled with a lot of issues depression and discouragement and a few other things and for her she was on this quest for what we would call inner healing in other words she wanted to have prayer she wanted to have ministry she wanted to have healing and boy a lot of people prayed for her and she went to a lot of conferences she went to a couple of specialist ministries for inner healing and she'd go to a conference she'd go to a retreat she'd have an encounter with God she'd come back all excited and two three weeks or months later she'd just slide back down into the same area and with her, it was always, you know, it, once I get healed on the inside, once God helps me deal with my issues, then I'll be able to serve him. You know, then I'll be able to walk in the way that, that God wants me to walk. Then I'll be able to do the things that God wants me to do. And the sad thing was, she never got to that place. Are we about to have a, an alarm? For those of you on the, on, on the recording, there we go. We turned it off. We don't have to evacuate the building. Uh, it's probably Elijah smoking again. I don't know. Elijah, we're just trying to, you know, he, he doesn't smoke. He, unless he's on fire in football, you know. And then, anyway, uh, but the sad thing was with this woman, no matter how much ministry she had, it never seemed to be enough. Uh, and she ended up going from church to church to church. And as far as I know, never got the healing that she desired. And certainly never really moved on in the Lord. Uh, and then I remember uh, another, another person who, uh, you know, they had such hopes for church. 
They really wanted church to work out. They, they wanted church to be a family. They wanted to come in and just have this sense of a purpose and belonging and closeness and connection. Uh, and the person just, they, they, they expected it to happen. And, you know, so they, they went and they talked with different people and occasionally they'd go out for coffee or a meal or something like that. Uh, and, and things never seemed to click. Uh, or for a long time, they just kind of waited to see if somebody would come up to them and, and invite them over, invite them to do something. Uh, and, and then when they did start connecting with people, uh, they started to, to have little arguments. You know how people get sometime, you know, we disagree and we have, have a little argument. And, and then they got really offended, you know, because this person had a, an opinion that was different than theirs, even though the, the other opinion was just is legitimate uh, and they wrestle with that and they struggle with it and, and, and finally they say well I, I just don't like you know just don't like this uh, and they end up with withdrawing and then they'd be out on the edge for a while and then they decide that they need, wanted it and wanted that connection and so they dive in a little bit closer and the same kinds of things would happen and they would withdraw again and then they'd come in again and, and they ended up going from church to church to church to church and never finding the connection. Because they had these expectations that even the Bible didn't have for what church life would be like. I mean, the Bible calls us brothers and sisters. Have you ever seen a family with brothers and sisters? You know, most of the time, some of the things that I did to my sister uh, when I was younger, by the way, not 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 now that I'm older, but some of the things I did to my sister, I remember the time that my sister pulled over the, the Christmas tree, uh, and I was so upset with her. I was, uh, I was probably about eight. She was uh, probably about two. I was so upset with her because she ruined Christmas that I started going after her with a torch. You know, and it was my mom that pulled me away. Said, no, you can't do that. You know, that's kind of how brothers and sisters are. But yet, when people get like that in the church, you know, they think, oh, this is terrible. You know, these terrible Christians, there's no love there. You know, they have these unmet or unrealistic expectations that they're like, okay, as soon as God meets this, as soon as the church meets this expectation, then I can serve the Lord. Then I can do what God wants me to do. As soon as I have the kind of church environment that will nurture me and, 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 and take care of me, then I can go forward with the Lord. And the person went from church to church to church. As far as I know, has never found a place to go on with the Lord. And then over time, I've known some other people uh, who have been part of the church for many, many years. Uh, they've served the Lord faithfully uh, for many, many years. And then it's like, well, now all I, can, I, I don't have to serve anymore. I don't have to do anymore. Now everybody else can start taking care of me. Everybody else can start serving me. It's time for me to rest on my laurels, so to speak. You know, I, I've worked hard, I've sacrificed, and now uh, when other people can help meet my needs, then, then I can serve the Lord again, uh, but I need a break and I need, to, I, I need people to take care of me. And they get upset when people don't do that, and they begin to fall away or draw away. And then there are other people that I've known that have had the attitude of, you know, if God will do this in my life, then I will do that. It might come from a thing I've heard so commonly over the years was a statement, 
well, once I get my life together, then I'll come to church and serve the Lord. Guess what? They never come to church and serve the Lord. Because they never get their life together. Because they get that backward. Uh, Or, you know, if God will only give me this kind of job, or if God will only give me this relationship, uh, or if God would only give me this learning, this class, uh, this experience, then I can serve Him. Then I can go on with Him. Then I can do the things that God wants me to do. And time after time after time, again, with those folks, I've seen this attitude keep them from actually moving on with the Lord from actually experiencing what God has for them in their lives. And that's a challenge, and that's a challenge that I think Paul addresses for us in the text that we read today. Because if we wait for the circumstances to be just right, they will never be just right. If we wait for the inconveniences of life to be gone, they will never be gone. If we wait for everybody to love us and to appreciate us and to value us and to praise us, it will never happen. If we wait for any kind of circumstances to go on around us, we will never get the circumstances right. Because the issue with going with the Lord, the issue in all of these things, the issue really with inner healing, the issue with expectations, the issue with uh, this idea of I can rest on my laurels, this issue of if God does this, then, then I can do that. It gets, all of these get it backward. All of these get it wrong. The thought is, in all of these situations, if something would happen outside, if I get the, the right self-help book so I feel good about myself, if I have the right set of circumstances, then I can serve the Lord, is completely different from the reality that Paul gives us. And in fact, the reality that Paul gives us here shows us that no one can prevent you from going on with the Lord except you. No one can keep you back from what God has for you except you. No one can prevent you from achieving all that God desires for you to achieve except you. So Paul here in this passage, the first thing in a sense he does, he's effectively telling us to get a reality check. Get a reality check. Notice what he says here. He says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am I already perfect? Here's the apostle Paul. He's just told us about all the things that he's given up. The education, the standing in Jewish society, the prestige he would have had. You know, he said, I count all of this as rubbish because I'm going to press on to know the Lord. Now remember, Paul is toward the end of his ministry, not toward the beginning of his ministry. When he's writing this, and he says, you know, I'm going on, but I haven't really got it all yet. Paul is telling us effectively that if we have this idea that somehow we can be perfectly healed or that all of our personal issues will ever be dealt with uh, or that all the circumstances of our lives will, will be exactly like they're supposed to be, that if that is our attitude, we need a reality check. Because that is not reality and it's certainly not the reality that the Bible 
expresses. There's no point in time in this life, according to the Bible, when we are perfect, when we are complete in ourselves, when we have completed our journey. And that's all around that idea of being made perfect. And there's no point in this life where we attain everything that we could possibly attain as Christians. We can go our entire lives and be the holiest person we could possibly be, but we'll never get to the full measure of Jesus Christ, at least in of ourselves. We have to keep pressing on. We need this reality check. We need to be thinking about our expectations. We need to be thinking about uh, what, what we're looking for, the questions we're asking, what we're seeking. And there are a lot of things that are communicated by the world and a lot of things that the church has bought into from the world that gets packaged in Christian language and communicated that do not represent the truth of the Bible as God's word. And so we need a reality check. We need to be going into the Bible and looking how the Bible portrays the Christian life. We often think in the world, and it's often communicated, that, wow, if you're really walking with Jesus, uh, you're going to have prosperity. You'll go from strength to strength and glory to glory. And yet you see, and there's even scriptures that would, you know, that you could quote to seem to back that up. But you look at people like Paul, who is arguably the greatest of all the apostles, certainly the most influential of all the apostles. And yet Paul said, you know, we're treated like rubbish. Of all people, we're not valued. So we need to dive deep into the Word of God and we need to get a reality check. And Paul gives us that and Paul challenges us with that. Then Paul goes on from that. And he challenged us to remember, to believe that we belong to Jesus. Going on. But I press on to make it my own. He's pressing on and we'll get to that press on again a little bit later. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. We can press on. We live the life that we live because Jesus Christ has come to us and has claimed us. He's died on the cross for us. He's risen from the dead for us. Jesus Christ has made us his own. Everything that we do is a response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, in a sense, this is part of the reality check because a lot of times we go through our lives and we have this attitude, well, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to achieve great things for you and and I'll make great sacrifices for you. Uh, But actually, we don't do that. It's all based on what Jesus has done for us. And if we don't realize this, oftentimes what happens, we get to the position of the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember? He says, all these years I've slaved for you and you haven't done anything for me. And I know a lot of Christians that have that attitude. All these years I followed you and and I don't have what I want. All these years I've sacrificed for you and and you haven't done anything. And and they have this bitterness against God that they hold in their heart because they feel like God's let them down when actually all along God's saying, hey, you're my son. You're always with me and everything that I have is yours. Jesus Christ has taken hold of us in the cross and Jesus Christ has died for us. He's paid the price of his blood for our lives. Jesus Christ has made us his own. 
And everything we do, all of our life is in response to the love that Jesus has lavished on us and we must believe that we belong to Jesus. We must believe that Jesus has bought us and he's not going to sell us. He's not going to give us away that Jesus can hold on to us. Jesus has made us his own. And this has to be our foundation. And so often it's not. So often what we, what we want, we say, yeah, I know that I'm saved. I like that. But I'd like to have a lot of money. Now there's nothing wrong with money. Uh, or I'd like to have a bigger house. Nothing wrong with that. Or I'd like to have a better car. Nothing wrong with that. A better job. Or a better relationship. Or a better this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and we have all of these things that we want. And then somehow we distort the whole package. So that following Jesus becomes a means to gain what we want. And as soon as we do that, we're treating Jesus like a prostitute. It's a bit blunt to say it, but that's exactly what a lot of Christians do. They prostitute their relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jesus has made us his own. And we must remember this, we must believe this, and choosing to believe this is something that has to happen for us every single day. It's not something you do once when you're saved and say, okay, I've chosen to believe that, I can go on. It's not like the couple, you know, that were married, uh, and they were married 50 years, and the wife is sad, and she's, you know, kind of whining and complaining. And the husband says, well, dear, why are you whining and complaining? She says, well, you never tell me you love me. And he says, listen, I told you 50 years ago that I love you. I'll let you know if I change my mind. No, it's not that kind of thing. We have to every single day be believing that Jesus has made us his own. Because if you don't believe that, you will not be able to keep going. You need to have a reality check and you need to remember that Jesus has made you his own. And when you take that reality check and you know that Jesus has made you his own, then you can do the one thing that you need to do. The one thing. I love this. Paul says, one thing I do. This is pretty cool. So if you want to know the key of the Christian life, look at Paul's one thing. You could probably say there are a number of keys, but I love what Paul says here. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's amazing. One thing I do. Now to me, that one thing sounds like three things. But it's really one thing. The one thing is press on. The one thing is press on. We have to press on as Christians. We cannot stop. We cannot quit. We cannot give up. We must press on and keep on pressing on. Now how do we do that? Well, first of all, in order to do the one thing, Paul says we must forget what lies behind. I know too many Christians 
who are seeking for that healing from something that happened to them in childhood or something that happened to them in their young adulthood and they never get it and so they stop pressing on. And I tell you, we all have a story to tell. And we have all been wounded. Over the years, uh, I remember uh, one freedom appointment that I've done with the Steps to Freedom in Christ really stands out to me. And this is why it stands out to me. This guy told me his story. Uh, It's a church leader that I'd never met uh, before that day, and I haven't met him since. I I wouldn't know him if I saw him. But this guy tells me his story uh, about his childhood. He comes to faith in Christ when he's four. Uh, He meets his wife when they're 16. They get married like uh, 20, 21. Uh, They haven't had sex before marriage or anything like that. Uh, He's uh, uh, working a job and he's doing quite well and he's getting promotions. He's brought into the church and he's just made the, been made the leader of his church and, and they have uh, a couple kids and everything's going well. And this guy tells me his story and I'm thinking, would you do a freedom appointment for me, please? You know, I, I just like, it was the most amazing thing. But I tell you, at the end, just as a side note, at the end of the appointment, which was one of the shortest freedom appointments I ever had, he thanked me because God, even for him, revealed issues that he needed to deal with. Uh, and he dealt with those issues and he resolved those issues. But the point is this, everybody has a story. Everybody has a place of brokenness. And we could sit down and we can compare stories. We could compare stories about abuse. We could compare stories about alcohol. We could compare a lot of different stories. And I tell you, I've heard a lot of your stories. And and sometimes I know people who think their story is really bad, but I think, you know, I don't tell them this because I'm a caring kind of guy. But sometimes I, I hear a person's story and I want to say, hey, grow up. That's not that bad. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I hear a story and I say, wow, how did you survive? And the thing is that sometimes the how do you survive people are much better off and much happier than those that I'm tempted to say grow up for. What, what, what's the point of all of this? The point is that we can get mired in what lies behind. We can get stuck by all the junk that's happened in our lives or even all the good things that's happened in our lives I've seen people who've get, gotten stuck in their glory days. You know, maybe they had a successful ministry or a successful job at some point in time in their 20s, and now they're in their 40s. A lot of things uh, are different. And they say, oh, if it was only like it was back when I was in my 20s. If, if I could only have that life back, if I only could have that adulation back, or that strength back, or that health back, or whatever I had in the past, if I only had it now, then I would be much better. And Paul says, that is a lie. If you're going to press on, you have to forget what lies behind. Now, forgetting what lies behind, that word there is very important to understand. It doesn't mean that you will no longer have it in your brain. That's not what Paul's saying. Because there are certain things we can't forget. What Paul is saying, the word there, the implication of the word is that we pay no attention to. We choose not to call it to our minds. Sometimes these things will come to our minds and if they come to our minds, we choose to forgive and to release it. But Paul says, I don't pay attention to my accolades. I don't pay attention to 
the bad things that have happened to me. I don't pay attention to the sufferings that I've had. I don't pay attention to what is behind me. I'm not going to put it in my mind. I'm not going to keep it in my mind. I won't pay attention to it. When it comes to my mind, I'm going to pay attention to something different. And if you don't choose not to remember, not to call to mind, not to pay attention to what lies behind, you will never press on to what God has for you. Never. And that's what Paul says. We've got to forget what lies behind. Do not pay attention to what lies behind. And then there's a second dynamic that enables us to press on, and this is the idea of straining toward what lies ahead. This word kind of calls to mind a horse that's, that's in, the, in the stall getting ready to run the race, you know, and it's a little antsy. It's, it's just ready for the gate to open and the horse to run, and it's kind of straining. But the idea there is also that you've got to put effort in this. Paul is saying here effectively, life doesn't just happen. Pressing on doesn't just happen. Walking with Jesus doesn't just happen. Good things in your life don't just happen. They require effort. They require work. They require strain. They require that focus and that determination to get on with it. And if you don't have that focus and that determination as well as that willingness to not pay attention to what lies behind, if you don't have those things you will not be able to press on, which is Paul's one thing. So we have to pay no attention to what lies behind, have the the strength and determination to press, to go forward, to strain, to work hard, to do whatever lies ahead. And here's the key point. That's up to you. It's 100% up to you. It's 100% your choice, your willingness to do it. Now, the good news here is that Jesus is working in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. For as Peter says in 2 Peter 1, we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is there. He's enabling this to happen. Christ has made us his own, so he will not leave us to do all this on our own. But if you're not willing to do it, Christ won't make you do it. So this one thing I do, Paul says, paying no attention to what lies behind and giving some effort to go forward, I press on. I press on. The idea is you keep going. You don't quit. You don't stop. I remember uh, a few years ago, Karen and I were up in the Hebrides and we had done a a hike uh, out into this very, very isolated valley on the island of Lewis. A very beautiful thing. Uh, and we kept going for the, the really good view, and, and it was, there was a big reservoir, and we walked around the reservoir, and then we got to the top of the hill, looking out into the valley, but there was a bit of a hill that was blocking part of our view, and so we said, well, maybe we can walk down the path a little bit, and we walked down the path a little bit, and there was another view, so we said, well, let's keep going, and before we knew it, we were all the way down in the bottom of the valley. Now, that's really great, but the thing about that it was all downhill. And the thing about something being all downhill, that when you go back, it's all uphill. And I tell you, it was not easy going back up. 
Uh, and, I, and it was such, the only way I could do it, I would just count in my steps. And I would count to 100 steps. And then I'd take a break at 100 steps. And then I'd start counting again. But step by step by step by step, we were able to press on. That's the idea. It may be hard, might be easy, but you determine that you will press on. And what does he say? He says, I press on toward the goal. What's the goal? The goal is God's purpose for his life. That's it. The goal is God's purpose for his life. Now at this point in time, Paul had a pretty good idea of the purpose of his life. But you know what? Paul was toward the end of his life when he had a really good idea of the purpose of his life. It wasn't in his 20s, probably wasn't in his 30s, probably not even in his 40s. Paul probably didn't even start on the journey toward the purpose of his life until he was in his 30s. It wasn't the end of his, beginning of his life, it was toward the end of his life. But he's pressing on toward the goal because he knows that God has a purpose for his life. He knows that God has things for his life. He knows that God has stuff that God wants to accomplish in his life. He doesn't know the fullness of what those things are. He doesn't understand how they'll all work together. And by the way, God most of the time won't tell you because he wants you to press on in the journey. And if he told you, a lot of times you wouldn't press on. Or you'd think you arrived too soon. And so he has a goal for his life. And he says, I am pressing on toward that goal. And that's the challenge that he's giving. We, each one of us, have a goal for our life. The goal for my life is different than the goal for Joshua's life. It's different than the goal for Jovan's life and Abraham's life and Olashina's life and, and everybody else here. Sometimes the goal for our lives is very similar to one another. Sometimes they're very divergent. But the truth is that God loves us so much and Jesus has taken us and made us his own. And God has a goal for our lives. And your goal is a unique goal. Nobody can do your goal for you. Nobody can reach your goal for you. Nobody can get there on your behalf because it is your goal. And the only thing, the only thing that can keep you from your goal is not doing the one thing. The only thing that will keep you from your goal is failing to press on. Say, well, what about sin? Yeah, sin is a problem. And God will deal with sin in your life. And if you wander way off the path, guess what? It's going to take you a lot longer to get to the goal. But God has a way of bringing people who wander way off the path, bringing them right back where they need to be. The key issue there is often in your life, how quickly do you want to get to the goal? If you want to get to the goal quickly, then repent. If you want to wander around like 40 years in the wilderness, then keep sinning. Or forgiveness. You know, what about unforgiveness? Well, unforgiveness, just like sin, can take you way off course. Unforgiveness can stop your progress and can actually make you go backward in the achievement of your goal. 
The key thing is, whether or not you forgive is up to you, just like whether or not you repent. And God can still get you to your goal. And God has a way of working with that. The key issue is how quickly would you like to get toward your goal? Or how much suffering and pain and difficulty do you want along the way? I mean, there's going to be enough suffering and pain and difficulty regardless. Why do you want to add to it? It's a bit like, you know, having to go to the dentist and having one tooth that needs to be repaired. And you say, you take a hammer and you knock out a couple more teeth and say, well, while I'm there, I thought I'd have them fixed three instead of one. Where's the sense in that? Yet nobody would do that, but Christians are doing that all the time by wandering in unrepentance, by wandering in unforgiveness, by, by wandering in unmet expectations. And we're just prolonging the pain or increasing the pain. But nobody can prevent you from getting to that goal. Well, what about my parents? They can't stop you. Oh, what about my spouse? Your spouse can't stop you. What about my friends? What about your church? They can't stop you. What about being in Great Britain and hostile to Christianity? That can't stop you. Nobody can prevent you from getting to the goal that God has personalized for you. And because God has personalized the goal for you, he's done it in such a way that you can achieve it. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Because if we get things easy, we don't appreciate them. But God has set us a goal. And we have to press on toward the goal. That's what Paul is saying here. But then he qualifies it even more. I press on toward the goal for the prize. Now the prize here is what you get when you win the race. So this is talking about when our journey is done. So there's a goal that we can begin to achieve in this life that God has for us. And that goal, the fulfillment of that goal, will take us to the end of our life. But once we get to the end of our life, we can get a prize. And this is like the first prize in a race. But do you know, every Christian can win first prize. It's the greatest thing. God has a lot of victor's wreaths to hand out. Every Christian can get the prize. How do we get the prize? We press on toward the goal. We keep on keeping on, not paying attention to what's behind, straining toward what's ahead. We press on and keep pressing on until we get to the goal and we win the prize, which is why God has called us to heaven in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's called us. He's created us. He's designed us to go for this goal to get this prize that we can all have, which is why he's called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. That same thing that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, when he says we're saved by grace through faith, uh, and this uh, is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are Christ, uh, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's prepared it all. He's claimed us for himself. He's empowered us. All we have to do is keep on. And if we keep on, we will get there. We need to keep on pressing on until we get to that goal. We don't stop. We don't quit. We don't give up. We need to keep on pressing on. But I think Paul gives us one final challenge here. And that's a little bit in what I said earlier 
Uh, and it would be this phrase, grow up. We need to grow up. A lot of times we whine and we complain against one another and against God, frankly, a bit like little children. You know, we, we talk about how uncomfortable it is, and it is uncomfortable, it is a challenge. But notice what Paul says here. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, he's saying, grow up. If you really think you're mature, then this is how you're going to think. Because for Paul, he knows that how we think always determines what we do. All the time. What's in our minds, how we're thinking, that's always determining what we do. So he says, if you're really mature, you should think this way. And if you're struggling to understand this, then ask the Lord because he will reveal it to you. So if you think you're mature, that's great. This should be your attitude. If this is not your attitude, this attitude of this is my one thing, not paying attention to what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I will press on toward the goal of my life in Christ Jesus for which God has called me heavenward. Now, that's our one thing. That's the mature thing. If you don't see that clearly, then ask God because he'll reveal it to you. But make sure that no matter what you attain, you hold on to what you've already attained. Once you start climbing that hill, once you're moving toward the goal, don't go backward. Don't go backward in sin. Don't go backward in unforgiveness. Don't go backward in in unrealistic expectations that God has never promised that he would meet. Don't go backwards. Keep going forwards. Hold your ground. Don't give up. If you're tired, take a break, rest, but always keep pushing forward. Press on. Press on. No, really, the challenge for us in all of this, in the end, is to remember the future. I love that. We must remember the future. We must remember that God did not design us simply for this world. That it was never God's intention to consummate everything in our lives in Christ Jesus in the here and now. And oftentimes we forget this. We forget this because science tells us, oh, we can keep living forever. We forget this because we have so much instant gratification uh, and we complain when the internet's just a, a little too slow. We forget this because we see other people that seem to be doing better than we are and we say, oh, why can't I have that? We forget these kinds of things time after time after time. But the challenge for us is to remember this future that God has for us. The future when our race will be won, our life will be over, we will have the prize, and we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We must not lose this vision of Jesus He's our crucified and resurrected Lord. And one day he will come again. And when he comes again, that's when everything is brought together under him. That's when heaven and earth are united fully in Jesus Christ. That's when eventually the old order of things passes away because God creates a new order where there's no more crying and no more tears and no more brokenness and no more sorrow and no more pain. 
That is the future that God has for us. And we must always remember that future every day as we live our lives. This is not the fantasy of demoralized, hopeless people. This is the reality promised by a Lord who rose from the dead just as he said he would and who can be counted on to come again just as he said he would. And so let's make it our one thing to press on in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this one thing. This one thing challenge for us. The one thing that is so important for our lives in Christ Jesus that we press on. Father, I pray for those that might be here who have struggled with the past and they've thought, oh, if only I could get healed, I could move forward. And I pray, Father, you would encourage them to pay no attention to the past, what lies behind, but to press on toward the future. I pray for those, Father, who have had unmet expectations that have hurt them and wounded them. And I pray that you'd help them to press on to the future in reality. I pray for all of us, Lord God, that we would not give up, we would not surrender, we would not quit, but we would press on. Press on toward the goal that you set before us, which is why you've called us upward in Christ Jesus to win the prize that we can have. We love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.